Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. All right. So, all right. Well, let's do this. We're jumping uh, into God's Word today. We're continuing this series called My Church, and uh, our key verse for this is a, a statement that Jesus made uh, to Peter and his disciples in Matthew 16, 18. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or of hell, by the way, will not overcome it. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be part of a church like that. And I love looking into this verse because I love hearing Jesus' heart. I love that he shows such intense ownership here. He said, this is my church. And because it's my church, I have a responsibility for building it. That means there needs to be a plan. There needs to be some intentionality. Jesus is like, my church is going to look like this. He's got a vision for it. And I really, really love that because he's got a plan for how his church is going to look. You say, well, where's that plan, Aaron? Well, it's found in God's word. And that's why we need to pay attention to it. That's why we need to be in God's word so we understand. What does that look like? What is our responsibility to our church, right? Because this is not my church. This is not my church, Pastor Aaron's church. This is your church. Everybody say, this is my church. You've got a responsibility for how this church looks, how it operates, what people experience when they come here. This is your church. This is my church. So God's plan for what his church should look like is found in his word. So the first week, we looked into his word and found that, that his church would be a church that is passionate for God. Passionate for what about God? Well, we'd be passionate about prayer. Be passionate about praise and worship. We would be passionate about purity. And we would be passionate about people. Bunch of peas, right? Prayer, prayer and worship, purity and people. We'd be passionate about those things. And I think that's really important. Because if we're passionate about God's church, and we're passionate about those things. We, when you think about those things that are on that list, a lot of times those are things that Christians in, in today's church, they endure them, they don't enjoy them. Is everybody here this morning? Prayer. Come on, somebody, tell me. Prayer is, that was even hard for Jesus' disciples that day, right? Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But prayer is something that can be enjoyed, not just endured. Praise and worship can be enjoyed, not just endured. Like, goodness gracious, can we get through these three songs so that we can hear the message already? No, no, no. It's to be enjoyed. Purity, which sounds like such a lame time is not, because there's power in our purity. All right, I thought that would get a better response than that, and that's okay. When we choose to, to walk in purity, God adds power to our lives. And then people. You know, God is all about people. He's all about people, and we've got to be about people as well. So I, I think there's much to enjoy, not just to endure, in people, in purity, Praise and worship and prayer. We get to enjoy these things, not we have to walk through them. I think the more passionate for God, or we, that we need to be more passionate for God than the players that we cheer on on a field. It's important. So last week we talked about, or, or that was the first week, and then last week we talked about what is, 
What does our passion demonstrate look like? Well, it looks like pursuit. Proof of desire, proof of passion is in your pursuit. What are you pursuing? We talked about making sure that we as a people, that if we are passionate about God, that our pursuit would include uh, uh, being passionate about all he has for us. And we talked about all that God has for us within the context of three baptisms. You say, three baptisms? I've only been baptized once. Listen, baptism is not just about baptism in water. That word baptizo means to be fully immersed in. It means surrendered to. I'll say it in today's language, going all in. And so there's three things that God has for us that if we are in passionate pursuit of him, we'll go all in on. First is, is saying yes to Jesus. That, hey, we are. that's a baptism. The Bible talks about it in blood. Listen, I know all this is metaphorical. If you missed last week, go back and listen to last week's message. But baptism, the, the blood baptism was the baptism into the body. That Because of what Jesus did on the cross, his death, burial, resurrection, when he shed his blood for us, it allowed us to be adopted into a spiritual family. Second baptism is baptism in water. It's a public confession of what's already happening in our hearts. It's kind of like a wedding ceremony, right? It's not the wedding that makes you in love. You're already in love. That's what got you to the ceremony. It's the same with baptism. It is a public confession of what's already happening in your heart. And the last one is a baptism in the spirit. And this is where we step into spaces that means a lot of things to a lot of different people. And we brought some clarity to that, what that is. But the point is, is that baptism in the spirit is God giving you power to live out your lives. It is a spirit-filled life that we want to live, and we want all that God has for us. Amen? And so we are, need to be a church that is passionate for God and passionately in pursuit of all he has for us. Today, we want to go a little bit deeper, and uh, I want to talk to you about a topic that is usually covered in one of our, our grow groups, a uh, group, grow group called Freedom Group. And I want to cover... A simple question today, and it's a question that really matters a lot. In fact, I, I would say that, that most people don't realize it, but they struggle with the answer to this particular question. And as a result, because we struggle with the answer to it, we wind up vacillating between two very different things, two very different answers or even approaches. And what happens is because we're swinging between two different approaches— Specifically within our, our Christianity and within our belief system, what happens is that we wind up creating two very distinct brands of Christianity. One that is dead and the other is alive. One that is attractive and the other is repulsive. People do not want it and they reject it. One gives life and the other takes life takes it from you, and it takes it from others that you interact with. You know, I learned early on about this difference between the brands that existed. I was, uh, I was a young man. I was working in a call center, and I found out at the call center that, uh, that every person you referred to the call center, uh, if they were there for, for 90 days, uh, you got a $200 bonus for every person you brought in. Well, I was connected to a church that had its own college, and these college kids were looking for an easy job they could do, right? And a call center is a great job because if you've got books to read, you know, as long as the phone's not ringing, you can, you can read books and you can study. And so college kids, this is a great opportunity. So I went to a job fair 
took a, a board, signed, and then signed up a bunch of college kids. And I said, here's the deal. Uh, you'll get the job as long as you put my name down on that referral sheet. <laughs> Let me tell you something. These college kids showed up in droves at this call center. And, and they, and, and they, they bunch of Christians now all over this place. And you would think, man, that's an awesome thing. How many people did you get saved? Goose egg, very little, none, nada. You know why? Because they were a bunch of goofy Christians. They were, they were the ones that were in, the, in the, 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 the dead version of Christianity. They were the ones that were walking around beating people on the head with God's word saying, you need to stop that, dummy. You're a thinner and you're going to hell. Anybody know Christians? Don't point at them. But anybody know Christians like that? You know people like that, right? And, and they're just so, like, mean all the time. And they're so condemning. And they just look down their nose at you because they've forgotten how far they themselves had fallen from grace and how much they needed God's forgiveness, too. And everybody that was a non-Christian in the place hated these college kids. And I didn't tell nobody that I brought them there. I did make a bunch of referral money. I did. But there was one guy who was a team lead. And this is, this is when I learned my lesson that there was a, a branding issue. He and I got close, and, and, and we spent time together. And, uh, and he sat me down one day, and he said, Aaron, he said, I don't know what it is about you. He said, but you're different from the rest of those guys. And I said, yeah, I know. They're a bunch of goofy Christians. He was like, no, no. That's, he said, yeah, it's maybe. He said, but there is something different about you. He said, what they have, I, I don't want. He said, but what I see in you, I, I want some of that. I want that. And I learned very, at a very young age, Christianity has a branding problem. And, and some of you here today know exactly what I'm talking about because you came from those kind of churches. That's why you wound up here, right? Some of you... Some of you haven't been to church in years because of interacting with Christians just like that. There are some of you watching at home, listening by podcast. Somebody said, hey, you need to check out this message today, and that's exactly your experience. You know exactly what I'm talking about. That, man, if you were asked, to be honest, you would say, I don't like Christians. I just don't like them. And the reason my friend had rejected Christianity and the reason so many people reject Christianity is because they bought into the wrong approach to God. So that's the question we have to answer today is what is going to be my approach to God? What is going to be your approach to God? What's the filter? What's the view that you have? What is the perspective and the mindset you have when you're trying to go after God? Because everyone Everyone is on a spiritual journey pursuing God in some way, shape, or form. That means the atheists, too. You say, well, Aaron, they're, they're atheists. They don't believe in God. Listen, let me tell you something that my Bible says. It says that eternity is placed in the hearts of every man. That means that there is a hole inside each one of us in our hearts that longs to be connected with that which created it in the first place, the supernatural, the eternal, the spiritual. And every atheist is on a journey, too. They're all on a journey. Atheists are included. Your theology may not include them, but God does. You need to correct that. That's why I tell people, 
that you can belong here at our church before you believe. Think about it. The disciples were following Jesus around before they believed that he was the son of God. They thought he was going to be some king, some, some war, war chief that was going to overthrow the Roman government. Uh-huh. You can belong before you believe that Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords and the son of God. Because I know you're on a journey, and I'm okay with your questions. I'm okay with it. Around the world, we find the same thing. People are looking for God, and how they will approach him is the question. What is that going to look like? Today, we're going to get into Genesis, and I'm going to read you the very first story in your Bible. Actually, I'm going to read you the second story, but the first story is the creation story, okay? And actually, that's your story as well. The first story in the Bible is also your story. You were born. You were created. You're here. The second story in the Bible is where we're going to start today, and it's actually your story as well. Because God made creation, and he said it was good. By the way, he didn't say it was perfect. But the second story, I think God put it in the Bible on purpose so that we could relate to it, because in that second story, there was a choice that was presented, and you and I need to make a choice as well. This story is a real story. It really happened. And, but it's, so it's not a metaphor. It's not a parable. This really happened. But God is using its placement to teach us something on purpose. It's something important. So here we go. Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. It says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of, of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Some of you probably heard this story before. And essentially what these two trees are is a picture of two choices. You can choose life or you can choose the knowledge of good and evil. It doesn't say, by the way, it doesn't say evil, right? Because a lot of times we think of the good tree and the bad tree. What was necessarily a bad tree, right? It was knowledge of good and evil. It's not a good tree and a sin tree, right? In some of the pictures we have, you know, Eve is there and she's eating an apple. And by the way, the Bible doesn't say anything about an apple at all. It doesn't say that's what it was. So, so we've already got, see how easy it is for us to accept wrong imagery and wrong beliefs because of what culture does? But that, that's not what the situation was. It wasn't a sin tree. It was the knowledge of good and evil. And so the, the approach is, are you going to approach God in a life-giving way or are you just going to approach God the way a lot of us approach uh, relationships with each other, and that's through voyeurism on Facebook, and we just know things about you, but we don't really know you? Come on, somebody. You know, a lot of people settling for a Facebook relationship with God. Well, we can tell you stuff about God, but we don't know God. We don't spend time with God. He's not on our calendar. We don't talk to him. Nothing. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I'm agreeing. I'll amen myself if y'all don't. That's fine. I don't know. Thank you. I feel you. But let me explain. And I'll get to it here. But let me get back to the verse in 16. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, he didn't say, you know, to go out and eat from the bad tree or don't do it. He, 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 said, he said, hey, don't touch that one tree, okay? Don't touch that tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch that tree. And when he's saying don't eat it, he's like, don't ingest it. Don't take it in. Don't allow it to influence you. 
or you'll die. What does that mean? It means you'll hate church. You'll hate Christians. You'll hate people. You'll hate your life. But in, you'll hate pastors. And in this story, God's like, hey, don't touch that stuff. Don't touch that tree. Don't touch that fruit. Don't ingest it. Don't take it in. You're going to hate things. You're going to hate life, and you'll die. And then after that, enter the devil. This is the third story of your Bible. It's also the third story of your life. Because here you've got a choice put in front of you, and the enemy wants to come along and help you make the wrong choice. That's what we've got. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So the enemy comes along. He knows what God said, and he goes, did God really say that? Is that really what he meant? So he sows a little bit of doubt. Is that what it really means? He's done this to a lot of us, specifically when it comes to what God has to say in his word. Is that what that really means? Is, is it really forbidding that? Is it really telling you to do that? Did God really say that? When it comes to what God has really said, and we see it in his word, we better believe it. This is a church that is built on God's word. And the enemy is going to come along, and he's going to tempt you. He's going to try to lure you away from what God has said. It says, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat, from the, eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. The enemy responds, you will not surely die. Liar! He's a liar, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You notice that he doesn't appeal to some sin nature like, hey, you're going to be a bad girl and you're going to wear a leather jacket. Bad to the bone. He's not like appealing to that. What he's appealing to is, is her, her desire to be godlike. That's not a bad thing when you think about it. She walked with God. Adam and Eve walked with God. Of course they wanted to be like their heavenly father. And here he's appealing to her desire to be like God. That's a good thing. He appealed to her, her desire for godliness. And I think if we're not careful, we need to see ourselves in this picture, see how easy it was for her to miss, uh, miss out on what real godliness looked like, right? And it's easy for us to as well. We want godliness, but our approach is off. It continues on. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Now watch. This is how you'll know oftentimes that you're in the wrong tree, okay? Because after you take an action and you believe, hey, this is the right step, what happens is, is that there's a loss of innocence coming. There's a loss of innocence that is coming. You'll no longer have this childlike approach. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So they have this loss of childlike innocence. They're, oh, my goodness, I'm naked. And then the next thing they experienced is shame. This is how you'll know when you, your approach to God is off. There's a loss of innocence, and you'll experience shame. They made coverings for themselves. And this is what religion, or the tree of knowledge of good and evil, produces. Loss of innocence and shame. 
And so there are two choices before us. And what I'm going to do with the rest of our time today is talk to you about the difference between these two trees and what it looks like to, to be in the tree of life versus being in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there are four ways that they're different, and it matters. So here we go. The first one is the tree of knowledge of good and evil says to you that you need to do more to get to God. That you need to do more to get to God. This is people that are convinced that you need to do more. You need to give more. You need to serve more. You need to more more, right? <laughs> Religion teaches you that you've got to do more. You've got to pray more. You prayed an hour today. That's not enough. You need to do more. You read the verse of the day in your Bible. That's not enough. You need to do more. You served how many hours this week? That's not enough. You need to do more. In fact, religious people love to measure your level of religion. They love to. They love to know what you're doing so that they can judge you and say, not enough. I've been to churches where they have like a giving board in the back where, where everybody congregates, and they will list all the people that gave that week, and there'll be another list next to them of all the people that didn't. Oh. <laughs> The first time I saw that would have been the last time I'd have been in that building. I'm not up for shame. I'm not up for somebody judging my level of commitment to my God. You don't know my story. You don't know what I'm going through right now. Hmm. They'll tell you, religion will tell you it's never enough to get to God. You got to do more in order to be more godly. And that is the wrong approach. But the tree of life says just receive what Jesus already did. You know, it's not about you, and it's not about what you do. It's all about Jesus, and it's all about what he did. Religion says it's all about knowledge. It's, it's all about doing something. But relationship with Jesus is this tree of life, and it's all about what he has done. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said, it is finished. The work that God sent him to do was done. The price has been paid. All we have to do is just receive it. And we struggle to do that because we are convinced that somehow we have to earn it. But salvation is a free gift of heaven. It would be like last night. My wife and I were invited to the opening of a new restaurant last night. Cut 132 up at Easton. And we are invited, invited there by a young lady who works there, and it's Friends and Family Day. Well, nobody really explained to me what that meant, but I've been to other Friends and Family events at restaurants. And sometimes it means one thing. It means like, hey, we're opening the doors for you, and you get a preview of everything that is coming. Sometimes it means your meal is like 50% off. Sometimes in the past it's meant that it's free. But nobody, nobody explained to us, so we show up, and we start looking at this menu, and I start sweating bullets because one of the steaks is like $90, right? You know, and I'm like, dear God, we just blew, we just blew the budget walking in here. You know what I'm saying? Like, some, anybody relate to that? You know what I'm saying? Like, woo, you had no idea what you were getting into. You're like, I'll have a glass of water, and um, do you have any of the soup that's just water as well? And I'll just have some of the juice from a steak. If you could just squeeze that onto a plate, I'll dip this free crust of bread in it. This is expensive. And so we're sitting there, and we, we, we order our appetizer. And I'm not a crab guy, but my wife likes crab. I'm like, I'll give it a shot. And I didn't like it. And the waitress comes out, and she goes, oh, 
you didn't like the crab? I was like, I, I tried it. It's just not for me. She said, well, order another appetizer then. I'm like, well, easy for you to say. She's like, no. She said, it's all free tonight. I said, what? I said, yeah, go ahead and give me one of those like 25-day dry-aged meatballs. Bless the Lord. There was two of them. I'm going to have a moment later with one of the other one this afternoon, I think. And so we started, I sweat a little less after that. I was like, all right, we got meatballs coming out. I'm going to go ahead and order the steak because it comes, all the sides come a la carte. And all the sides start at like $20. Woo. And then dessert. It was, it was wonderful. The entire experience was wonderful. But that entire experience means nothing if somebody provided it to me for free and at the end I insist on paying for it myself. No, no, this dinner was great, but let me pay for it. Hey, Jesus, what you did on the cross was pretty good, but watch this. Look what I can do. Why in the world will we insist on paying for something that has already been paid for? Religion makes us do that. Just accept what Jesus already did. It's his gift to you. You don't have to pay the price for your sins. It's already paid. Just accept it. Jesus is the point, not what you can do, not what you know. In John chapter 5, it says, You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So it's not about knowing the scriptures. It's about knowing the person the scripture speaks about. Knowing verses is not the point. The person within them is the point. Second way, the trees are different here. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is, tells you to try to get God's approval. But you got to work for it. That God's mad at you. And I blame some, some of the great preachers of, our, of the past. Jonathan Edwards was part of the great awakening here in America. But his message was wrong. The message was sinners in the hands of an angry God. And we've been, we've been perpetrating this idea that God sits up in heaven on a white throne with a white beard and a white, ro- and a white robe with a lightning bolt waiting to zap us if we mess up. This is the image we have painted of God. And the enemy wants you to believe that because he wants you scared of him. He wants you to feel like you cannot approach him. He wants you to feel like you're never going to get it right and you're never going to be enough so that you eventually just give up on a pursuit of a relationship with God. Some of you here today, maybe you'd be honest and say, you don't have to raise your hands, but maybe you thought, if I walk into a church building, I'm going to catch on fire. But this is an idea, hold on, this is an idea that we have bought and sold time and time again within our world and our culture. In fact, I would say we have traded this lie so often that it has now become a joke. Because you know that's where most comedy flows from, right? A point of pain that we've experienced in our lives. And it's a joke that we talk about sweating like a prostitute in church. Oh, you, some of you have heard that before. You're like, man, it's a hot day. I'm sweating like a prostitute in church. Why would a prostitute sweat in church? Well, because, you know, the flames of hell are just licking at her. She's going to hell. Let me tell you something. There is not a single prostitute that ever spent time with Jesus that felt condemned in his presence. You don't have to prove yourself to, to God. 
to, to, to be good enough. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil says that you do. The tree of life says, I can just receive God's love for me. God loves me just as I am. Just as I am. No shame. Truth is, God knows you. He knows your sin. He knows your heart. He knows what you've done. And he loves you despite those things. In fact, if he had an iPhone and a lock screen, your picture would be on that lock screen, guys. He loves you that much. In fact, the Bible says this in Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't look up from that cross and say, wait, 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 wait. Before you pierce my hands, is anybody going to put their faith in me? Before any of us said yes to him and trusted him with our lives and called him Lord, he died for us while we were yet sinning. He didn't wait on us to love him back. He gave all his love to us first. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We just need to receive his love. And some of you are ready to do that, but I got two more points we're going to get through, and then you can do that, all right? Third, third, uh, third thing about the tree of knowledge of good and evil is that it focuses on the external that if we're to come to Christ, we got to clean ourselves up. we got to change the way that we talk. we got to start using these and thous. We don't get to cuss anymore. And when we talk to God, we have to say his name 20,000 times. Father God, we come before you, Father God, today, Father God. And Father God, you know what's Father God's going on in my heart, Father God. Come on. Some of you feel like the more you say that, the holy you, you are. And every time you say his name, Father, Father, he's up there going, what, what, what? It's just how I imagine him, right? I think God's got a little bit of sarcastic heart like I do. That doesn't make us holier. Doesn't make us better. Pray longer prayers. Say, well, you got to change the way you dress. You got you to get into your suits. You got to wear a dress. You got to have your Sunday best on. Or you can't sit with us. Tell people they've got to, there, there's no beards. You can't wear any makeup. Can't have any tattoos. No crazy hairstyles. Definitely can't wear hats into the sanctuary. So you're like, oh, man, I've done it myself. It's all good, guys, all right? But focus is on the external. It's all about what you can see. They'll judge your level of religion. That's why they wanted to focus on the external because that's what they can see. That's what they can judge because we can't judge each other's hearts. We don't know each other's hearts. That's presumptive of us. It's all about how you behave, but the tree of life focuses on the internal. That's the biggest difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know that? In the Old Testament, they had all of God's laws, and they had to by force. They didn't have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of them. They had to memorize those laws and then try not to break them. But God in the New Testament said, I'm not, no longer they're going to have tablets of stone with my word on them. I'm going to write it on their hearts. I'm going to write it on their hearts. It's no, no longer will you obey God out of force. You'll do it because you want to. You'll obey him not because you have to, but because you want to. It's a very different approach. This is why I don't focus on the external. I want you to fall in love with Jesus. And I know that everything else that's happening outside of you will fall into line if you do that. I just don't stress about it. The stuff a lot, bunch of religious people are worried about, God will talk to you about that. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to preach God's word, but I don't have to focus on telling you to clean up your act. Holy Spirit's going to do that for you. He's going to do it. Besides, if you could clean up your act, wouldn't you have done that before you came to Jesus anyway? And can't none of us do it anyway. We can't. We need God's spirit. So now his spirit is 
dwells inside of us because of what Jesus did. God's words are written on our heart. I will always fight for those that religion says don't belong here. I have been a fighter. I've had many Christians come up to me and say, well, I can't worship because so-and-so is here today, and don't you know how they sin? Well, I know how you're sinning right now. Let me help you find another church because they're, they're welcome here. You're welcome here. Samuel, it says this in 1 Samuel 16, it says, The Lord does not look at things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord, uh, he looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. And here's the last one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil tells us to obey out of duty. You got to do this or you're going to hell. It's fear-driven, right? Your heart's not transformed. You're doing it because you got to do it. And if you're doing it, if you're following Jesus because, or you're doing all that you're doing, you're obeying because you have to, guess what you're going to be? You're going to be mean. You're going to be miserable. That's why there's a lot of Christians in churches that love Jesus, but they've got scowls on their faces, right? <laughs> People don't like Christians because they're mean. I'll never forget, <clears throat> you know, uh, uh, early on in our ministry here, we were, we were back at the, the funeral home day. And uh, somebody came up to me and said, Aaron, there's a bunch of smokers outside. They're outside the building. They're smoking. I said, well, that sounds like a captive audience to me. Somebody go make sure that they've got an ashtray and everything they need. I'll be out there with them. And I went and I would stand in the middle of the smokers. You know why? Because they, they belong. They belong here. Smokers need Jesus too. Right? Go out and make friends. Get one of them ash poles. We got one of them over right over here. I don't care if you're a smoker. Man, I don't want you blowing it in my face necessarily, but, but I would go out there and I would stand with them and I smelled like smoke. Hey, let me tell you something. That's what happens, by the way, when you start pulling people from the fires of hell. You're going to smell a little bit like smoke. <laughs> you're going to smell a little bit like smoke. Some of you haven't smelled like smoke in a long time. You've forgotten how you used to smell. Swinging from the wrong tree. You've lost your delight, and it's become duty to you. You'll hate God, you'll hate your relationship, you'll hate church, and you'll hate it all if you do that. But when you're in the tree of life, you'll obey out of delight. You know, I'm jazzed to be able to do what I do. I thank God for it often. I am privileged to be here. I am, because alone, I'm a mess. And by the way, if you were to look at me on paper, you wouldn't choose me for this job. In fact, I thought when I was preparing for ministry that I was going to be in an executive pastor role, and I feel more comfortable in that role. I can excel in that role. But God said, now I got something else for you. I got a call in your life, and you're going to be the lead pastor. Well, that doesn't fit what I think of myself, but all right, Lord. I'm privileged to do this. He's given me everything I need. He's been faithful to me. He's called me. He's equipped me to do this. And I love what I get to do in his kingdom, and I'm delighted by it. I'm delighted by all those that he has surrounded me with to do the work that he's called me to do. I've discovered the delight of obedience. And many of you can discover that too. It's not about because you have to. It's because you get to. You want to. It's better. It's most certainly easier when you're in love with someone to obey them. Jesus said this, or John said this, excuse me, in 1 John 5, 3. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. 
It's easy to obey, guys, when you're in love. You know, I don't have to walk around all day reminding myself not to cheat on my wife. You know why? Because she will cut me. And also, more importantly, because I love her. Why in the world would I walk around going, okay, please don't, I'm not going to cheat on her, I'm not going to cheat on her, I'm not going to cheat her, I'm not going to cheat her, I'm not going to cheat her. I'm just going to love her. And that means I won't. That's not a burdensome thing for me to not cheat on my wife because I love her. It's not burdensome for us to obey God when we love him. Love makes serving, surrendering, and submitting a delight. So how do we get there? Three responses here. Let's go, go quick. Three responses on how do we get there. Fall in love with Jesus. I think I've already said it a dozen times today. Fall in love with Jesus, man. That, that's it. I, I know that it's easier said than done. You say, well, how do you fall in Jesus? Fall in love with Jesus. It's simple. Think about who he is and all that he's done for you. There is no reasonable response that I feel like any of us could come up with when you start thinking about who he is and what he's done for you. He's the son of God that left glory, laid down his rights and his privileges, left heaven to be born a child, spent 33 years of his life on this earth also that he could relate to your human experience so that he could understand you, so that he knew how to pray for you well. He's our priest who is in heaven praying for us now. He's our salvation. He's the reason why we are forgiven. He rescued me from hell and gave me heaven in eternity. And I can experience some heaven on earth as well. He's my redeemer. He changed the end of my story because my story was certainly broken and was certainly headed for disaster. He took the pen out of my hand and said, I'm going to write a different ending. I'm going to make you a champion for me, Aaron. He'll do the same for you. He's my refuge. I can hide in him when I'm scared. He's my shepherd. He leads me and cares for me. He's my protector. You know, I don't have to defend myself. The Bible says that God claims vengeance as his. He's my provider. All I have is from God. He's my soon and coming king, and he is my advocate. When you begin to think through who he is and all he's done, how can you not love him? What other response is there than to say, Jesus, I love you? Jesus said this in John 14. He said, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. Now, the two trees are on display right here in this verse. And they're separated by that little comma right there. And I have to ask you, which side of the comma are you living on? Because, see, I used to hear that verse that, well... If I love him, I have to show him I love him. So I got to do this stuff, and I got to obey. And it becomes duty. And that, that's if you're on this side of the equation, of that comma. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, if you love me, all this is going to be easy. You, if you love me, you'll obey me. So it's, it starts with the, the right tree. I want to be in the tree of life. I want to be on that side where I'm in love with Jesus and what he asks me to do is an easy thing because I'm in love with him. Just fall in love with Jesus. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians, for Christ's love 
compels us. Compels you to what? To serve, to give, go on missions, trips, outreach, efforts, and more. We are compelled. I would say this, that I can, fully com- I can fulfill the commands of the Bible better by falling in love with God rather than trying to obey everything. And this is who Simple Church is, by the way. Second response that we can have. Respond to sin with life. You know, stop expecting lost people to behave like Christians. They're not going to. <laughs> stop shaming Christians when they do sin. Restore them instead. Restore them. Could you imagine a world like that? Where, where your brother comes to you or your sister comes to you and they're like, man, I've really messed up this week. And instead of going, oh, you're going to hell. We go, man, that, that really stinks. Let me offer you some accountability. Let me, let's talk about the way out. Let's talk about how we get back to a place where this doesn't happen again. We restore somebody in God's love. We need to respond to sin with life. That's what God did for us through Jesus in John 3.17. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. You know, we see this on display in Jesus in, in the story of in John 8. There's a woman who was caught in the middle of adultery. And a culture, by the way, who, who brings the woman forward and shames her but not the man. They threw her naked in front of Jesus. And there was a bunch of people ready to throw rocks. And Jesus said, whoever doesn't have any sin, go, ahead, go for it. They were trying to trick Jesus. And one by one, all the accusers walked away. And the first thing Jesus says to this woman is, where are your accusers? And she says, I don't have any. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So watch what he does. He gives her grace first. And that's what people need. They don't need smacked on the head with God's rules and told, you need some counseling. They probably do need some counseling. That's not what they need first. What they need first is grace. What they need first is to be loved. And then you can give them truth. And that's what Jesus did here. This is what we have to give to lost people. This is what we've got to give to fellow Christians. They're not going to be perfect. They are being perfected by God's grace. Don't frustrate that grace. Don't wag your fingers at people. Humbly love them, offering grace first and then truth. Because Jesus came to set me free, not make me sorry. That's the truth. And the third response is to guard your heart from going back. You know, it's the, here's the thing. There's two trees here, and there's a vine hanging between them. It's really easy to swing back and forth between them. Really easy. It's easy for this guy to do it, and I know it's easy for you. It's easy for me to try to take control. It's easy for me to get stuck in doing, doing my Christian duty instead of living a life of delight in my relationship with God. It's very easy for that to happen. I swing back and forth, and I know you do too. And what happens is, the reason that happens is, is because what we've lost sight of what we first loved. What happens is, is we've, we've now focused on something else. C.S. Lewis said this, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. <laughs> hmm. So what do we do? Fall in love with Jesus. Make sure that, that he's front and center always. Respond to sin with life, not condemnation, not a judgmental attitude. And the last one is guard our own hearts from swinging in the wrong tree. 
1 John 5, 12, it says this, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. Today, if you want that life, you can have it. You just need Jesus. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Some of you are here today. You've never known Jesus, but today is your day. Others of you, maybe your relationship with him has become duty. You've lost your first love, and today you need to recommit. Say, Aaron, I'm, I'm going to rediscover. I'm going to guard my heart. I'm going to be restored into a relationship with Jesus. And I'm going to pray a prayer today. And if that's you and you're in on that, would, nobody's looking around. Would you just slip your hand up and say, Aaron, that's me today. I'm in on that. I'm saying yes to Jesus, or I'm coming back to a relationship with Jesus. Just slip your hand up. Do it now. Don't, be, don't worry about anybody around you. Just be bold. Thank you. Yeah, I see you. Gotcha. Thank you. Thank you. I see you. It's awesome. Everybody, let's pray together. Nobody needs to pray by themselves. Say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. We hope it has given you hope and helped you know God a little bit more. The goal of this podcast is to reach beyond our walls and connect with people far from God. If you'd like to join us in doing that, there are several ways for you to get involved. First, you can pray for us as a church. Prayer is our first response and our greatest resource. Pray for opportunities that we can boldly step into, make a difference in our community and around the world as we proclaim the good news of Jesus. Second, share this episode on your social media accounts and directly with your friends. It's easy to do through whatever platform you're currently using to listen to this message. Just click share and follow the prompts. Finally, you can support the mission through your generosity. The best part about this is that it's also an act of worship where you express the priority of your love for God and others through your finances. Links to give are in the show notes or simply visit www.mysimple.church giving. We are so thankful you joined us today. Hope you'll consider joining the mission of our church in some way. Thank you again, and we'll see you at next week's episode.